This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Brian Goldfinger from Goldfinger Injury Lawyers. We'd like to wish you and your family a happy holiday season. Remember, if you're drinking, texting, smoking cannabis, you shouldn't drive, or somebody's going to have to hire my law firm to set things straight. Visit goldfingerlaw.com. Welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast for the week of December 3rd. I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined on the podcast by Raptors Public's very own, I would say, pretty much our best edition of the offseason. You know, uh, in addition to Kawhi and Danny Green, those were pretty good. But we also got Victor Rosso writing for the site in his uh, his week, not even weekly, it's like game-by-game breakdowns. They're, they're like probably the most insightful thing you'll read on Raptors Public right now. So welcome to the podcast, Victor. Thanks, well, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, tell us about first off, like um, you have an extensive playing career. You know, you, in your bio it says three-time uh, U Sports champion. It's kind of weird seeing it as U Sports, but um, you know, like t- walk us through your playing career and, and, and what you're doing now. Um, yeah, I, I always say I always say CIS. I never say U Sports. I have to like consciously think about that. Yeah. It's still kind of a weird name, but um, I. Uh, I played basketball my whole life. My my dad was a coach at McMaster growing up. Uh, then I went to I went to Mac, played at Mac for three years, uh, and then after my third year, decided to transfer and transferred to the Carlton Ravens. Um, played for Dave Smart, which is who's one of the best coaches in the world, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, had a lot of success there. We won two national championships, and then I stayed and I coached at Carlton uh, the year Dave was on a sabbatical, and we won another national championship. Um, after that, well, I fully got the coaching bug when I was like 13 years old. But um, after that, once I coached at Carleton, came back to Hamilton, took uh, the Cardinal Newman senior boys team to fourth place finish at OSA. Then last year was the uh, the lead assistant for the Niagara River Lions of the National Basketball League of Canada. And then that leads me to today, where we I don't currently not currently coaching a team because. Our River Lions switched from the NBL to the newly formed CEBL that starts up in May. So to, uh, you know, keep up with my time to ensure I had a, a coaching grind going on that I was getting better, I started uh, doing these breakdowns of the games and then got in contact with Blake, and Blake thought it would be awesome if it was on Raptors Republic, and that's kind of where we are now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, we're, we're better off for it at, at the site. Um, walk me through that transition, basically, between, like, you know, going from a player and then immediately stepping over to that coaching chair. Um, because, you know, I've, I've looked into your bio a little bit. You know, you were captain at Mac. You were also named captain at Carleton. Like, um, was that a seamless transition for you? And also, like, the fact that you caught the coaching bug at 13, like, how did that happen? Is it, is it mostly because <laughs> you're basically, you know, you're the son of a, a basketball icon here in Canada? Well, the coaching bug thing was because, yeah, I mean, I – some kids grew up like around basketball all the time and like you know watching guys play and playing 
I was always playing, but I was always around the coaches. So like mm-hmm. from the, uh, from as early as I can remember, I would go to practices like CIS practices or youth sports practices, sorry, all the time. But I'd be sitting in the coaches' room beforehand or uh, before like guys would come into the change room for pregame talk. I'd be sitting in there while coaches were discussing things and writing game plans on the board. So from that, from early on, that's kind of how I learned basketball from a coach's perspective. And then the fact that like I just wasn't super athletic. <laughs> but I always kind of knew if my basketball career, if I wanted to like become a professional in basketball, you know, I would have been making very limited amount of money playing in like mid to low level Europe's or European teams. So I knew from a long time that I would, if I wanted to make it to the NBA or you know be a uh, a lifelong basketball professional, that it would be in coaching, not playing. So um, yeah, but in terms of the other question about getting to uh, like the transition from coaching or from playing to coaching, when I went to Carleton part of my like recruiting process with Dave was him saying, well, I was doing my MBA there. Mm-hmm. So I knew I was going to be in school for three years. And he said to me, you know, like, I want you to be a coach here and you're, when you're done your final two years of eligibility, but some things need to happen. Like you have to be viewed as um, someone who can make that transition from player to coach uh, by your teammates. And if your teammates don't respect you to, to that extent, to the extent that our coaches need to be respected, both in terms of how hard they work and their knowledge of the game, then no promises, you know? So I knew that going in that I needed to have the right approach as a player to make sure that I could, you know, transition from player to coach successfully, because as you can imagine, it's not easy if you're going with guys who you, you know, hang out with all the time and play with on a daily basis to having to tell them hard things that they don't necessarily want to hear, you know, like that's not always an easy thing to do, but I mean, it kind of fit into my, fit into the kind of the way I played basketball right I was always mm-hmm. all about team and the competitive side of things more opposed to guys who just kind of like go out there to just you know hang around and just have fun like I was always about winning 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 all the time so it was easy for my teammates to view me in that way um, by the way this topic of leadership is going to come up because you know Pop randomly took a stab at Kawhi for no reason about his leadership yeah. but um, I mean you know you obviously you've been around the game your entire life like uh, just from a like in your perspective like what makes a good leader in a basketball team and then from you know obviously you're not like well I, I don't know maybe you are like really close to the Raptors but even watching from afar like which guys do you identify right away as leaders for the Raptors and um, you know guys that people really well, respect well uh, like of course I mean your best player is a leader in some capacity you know they may not be the mm-hmm. vocal leader but they are they are a leader because as they go, you go. So obviously Kawhi is, for, for Pop to say Kawhi is not a leader, I mean, I, I haven't seen the whole quote in context, Yeah. but I think that's a little bit crazy. Like, yeah. if, if Kawhi Leonard is out there and he's not trying and he's not playing hard on defense and he's still the same old quiet guy, that's going to have an effect on everybody. Mm-hmm. And you're therefore a leader, you know? He plays so hard all the time and you can tell the guy wants to win. Like, whether he opens his mouth or not, he is going to be a leader. And I actually think he's a pretty good one, to be honest. Like, you look at how hard those guys play. Um, but Lowry, Lowry, of course. Of course, yeah. You know, he's, got his, he's got his things that annoy me, specifically <laughs> how, much he, how much he gets on reps, you know, because that can also have a negative impact on your team if everyone starts complaining all the time. But uh-huh. you, how, how can you not play hard for Lowry? Like, he'll, he can do some crazy things out there, yeah. that make you mad but at the same time he is insanely competitive and he's always trying to win 
Yeah. Why do you, you see know, a thirty million dollar per year player lead the league in charges? You know what I mean? Like yeah. that oh never my happens. Gosh, you're never. Yeah. When, when do you see anyone take charges in the NBA? Seriously. <laughs> I would love to know who's in second place in charges. I think Larry has like more than double. That's what it was last year. It was like him and Ursan Ilyasova. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in terms of just leadership in general, I mean, I'm more of the of the boat of, of someone like Lowry, you mm-hmm. know, who who's all about winning all the time and is not afraid to, you know, say what needs to be said because if you got to hold people's hands and be nice to them when when they're not getting their job done and it's the same thing you've talked to them multiple times about, then you're just not going to win in a super competitive sport right like the nba you're not going to win if you have to if you have to be nice to everybody all the time and it's okay you know you'll get it next time kind of thing you just have no chance like you look at the warriors i always compare everything to the, to the warriors because everyone's trying to beat them right yeah like say what you want about draymond but draymond has the respect of steph clay and kd guys who are better at basketball than him probably and he can yell right in those guys face like he can scream at Steph when Steph's not doing something. Mm-hmm. He can scream at KD when KD's not doing something and those guys respond. Yeah. You know? Like that's what it takes to be a an incredible leader where you can actually have a good enough relationship with someone to hold them accountable to the things that require winning, regardless of how good they are. Yeah, for sure. And and I think one of the things with the the Raptors is that like, you know, Larry can be abrasive. We've seen it all the time, but like you know, all these guys respect him. Like, they all love him. Like, look at the intro. Like, you know, everyone is getting down on their knees doing weird stuff. You know, like, you know, <laughs> trying to cheer him on. And then, like, you know, everyone speaks very highly of Kyle. No one ever says a bad word about him. And then, like, you know, part of that goes to the fact that, like, in the summertime, he's leading these guys in workouts and stuff like that. Like, Kyle's he really is a gift for this team. Um, pivoting over, actually, I, I wanted to ask, like, what was your game like? If you had an NBA comparison. Because I was looking over your numbers, and I was like, one guy that popped in my mind was Anthony Parker. I don't know if that's because, <laughs> you know, maybe physical similarities, but I mean. <laughs> oh, man, I wish I was Anthony Parker. Oh, of course, of course, but I'm talking, um, like, stylistically. Um, I, don't, I mean, when I, was at, when I was at MAC, like, in my third year, mm-hmm. I was a first-team OUA All-Star, and I, I scored a lot more than I did at Carleton, mainly because I – my role was different. Yeah. Um, that was probably closer to Anthony Parker, except when I was at Mac, I was the worst defender in the world. Oh. Um, <laughs> so maybe not. Let's, uh, who's a, I mean, I always used to make fun of my friends, like guys who could score. I'd call them like a, a cold Eddie house. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was pretty, like I, I rebounded. I assisted. I, uh-huh. I scored. Yeah. Uh, but by the time I, when I, by the time I got to Carlton, I was like, I got, I was much improved on the defensive end mm-hmm. and I was strictly like spot up shooter, like rebounded hard, passed well, but I wasn't a creator at all. So, I mean, kind of Danny Green. Okay. I actually, okay. I like that one. If anyone ever hears that I'm making NBA comparisons with myself, I'm going to get <laughs> absolutely ripped apart. Like one time, this is a hilarious Dave Smart story, but we were talking about this kind of stuff in our locker room at Carlton and he walked in and you know, I said my NBA comparison is whoever I said a name, uh-huh. and he just was like, "What are you? You can't ever say you have an NBA comparison. Like, <laughs> who do you think you are comparing yourself to the, an NBA basketball player? You gotta be out of your mind! Like, just absolutely destroying me for the fact that I compared myself to someone in the NBA. So, well, but, yeah, 
Danny right. Green. I'll, I'll, I'll go with Danny Green. Yeah, Danny Green. I, 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 the thing is, like, you know, not to gas you up or anything, but, like, Victor Cabal. Okay, Victor Cabal. Look up his numbers. Look up his uh, his track record here. All right, let's let's uh, let's move over to the coaching side of the thing. Uh, one thing I'm always really interested in is, like, um, how people who have played and are really within the game, like, see the game. Like, when you watch a Raptors game uh, and when you break it down first off are you you're probably watching them on tape delay right like it's there's no other way to watch tape other than if you can pause and rewind and, and stuff like that but um, right um, what do you what like what are you watching for when you go into the game it's kind of a hard um, general heart like a hard general question but I well it's actually it's actually a really good question because I have to do this I have to like stop and remind myself what I'm looking for all the time because you know the reason I started doing this before I was working for the Raptors Republic was to, to try and reverse engineer how um, Nick Nurse coaches. Mm-hmm. I started with Boston, but it just became too much. I had to do just the Raptors. And I, I wanted to look at just what is happening on the floor. Don't look too far, too far into anything other than exactly what you see. And then build a, build like a database of, okay, these are the kind of tendencies they have. Well, all right. If they do, they are always digging at the nail then that must be a defensive philosophy so that's the way I kind of looked at it from the start was don't be looking to you know hit the home run with I'm the you know I can see something that no one else can see no that's not what I'm trying to do I'm just watching the game Mm -hmm. and seeing okay what are they doing technically offensively all right why are they doing that are they trying to go after someone on the defensive end are they playing to their strength is it just a a free flowing situation where it's neither and they're just playing. And then the same thing defensively, right? Like, are they always handling ball screens a specific way? Are they changing it up based on the, the Raptors personnel? Are they changing it up based on the, you know, the, the offensive personnel, every single situation, just looking at it and then saying to myself, okay, is this happened consistently throughout the game? If it has, why is it happening that way? You know, is it random? Is it a coach's decision? Mm-hmm. So that's the way I, I look at it. Um, and then so from what you've seen of the Raptors this year I mean where would you say Nick Nurse has really succeeded in terms of changing from because uh, I'm assuming you saw a lot of Raptors last year maybe not in the same depth because you weren't breaking it down as much but um, going from Dwayne Casey to Nick Nurse like which things have Nick Nurse have, has he really implemented that has sort of led to tangible changes um, so in fairness, I, I watched the Raptors last year, but not nearly to the same extent. Like I wasn't breaking right. down their games. And honestly, I didn't like the Raptors last year oh. or in the, in the last couple of years, not because I'm not a Raptors fan. I'll always be a Raptors fan. I yeah, didn't really like the way they, the way they played. Okay. Um, the biggest thing, obviously, I mean, he got Kawhi Leonard like that. <laughs> yeah. A massive yeah. jump, but it's not everything, you know, like Dwayne Casey had buy-in from the guys. So you can't say he didn't. Nick Nurse seems to have a, a different level of buy-in or maybe that's the same level of buy-in with Kawhi and Danny Green and an improved Pascal. I'm not really sure. Um, But Nick Nurse does a a really good job of, I think he does a really good job of figuring out what the Raptors are going to need to be good at to win a championship. Mm -hmm. Like the, my, my knock on Dwayne Casey over the years was that like, if you, if you look at everything from the perspective of to win a championship, things are going to go bad and if things go bad against golden state what are we going to be able to have to do right and against right so against golden state you on your best day you're never going to beat them with Serge Ibaka and JV on the floor you have too many weaknesses they'll just destroy you yeah you know 
So if you look at everything from that perspective and work backwards, I love what Nick Nurse is doing because Nick Nurse is like every single time the Raptors do something, you can always kind of see, all right, well, they're not, they're doing this because this has a potential of them being able to go to actually compete for a championship, you know, mm-hmm. like splitting up the JV surge thing. Like obviously everybody talks about it, but I don't understand why they never did that before. Like you're not winning an NBA championship with two five men on the floor. Right. You're just how are you going to cover Golden State? You're not going to. How are you going to cover Houston and teams like that? You know? So uh, that, I mean, that's, that's the thing I like about Nick Nurse the most. Yeah, I mean, there is a pretty big difference in terms of coaching for the regular season and coaching for specific matchups in the playoffs, right? Because um, exactly. it, it's, it's two entirely different games. And I think the Raptors have always been quite successful in finding out a formula for the regular season because, like, you know, like based on my untrained eye, really, when I see the regular season, I'm like, can you have A, healthy players, B, can you be consistent, and can you just execute things every single night? And if you do that, generally speaking, you're going to have – you're going to go to the playoffs, right? If you can keep everyone on the same boat and you can do things um, consistently, then, yeah, you can go to the playoffs. But then in the playoffs, it's really just about how many different things can you do in terms of – what scenarios can you adapt to? Which matchups? Uh, matchups become so big. And I think this year in, in particular, um, you know, I think Nick Nurse has, I mean, you could definitely see it within games. He does change up the matchups a lot. I think in that Boston game, really early in the season, it was like, he's like, well, Pascal's not really working much because uh, the Celtics are just sagging off of him. And then he switched up with OG. And it's like, he, you know, he's he's tried different lineups. And even with the Serge and, and JV thing, I mean, he, he went back to Serge and JV a couple of times this season when it's been really necessary. Um, and so I think that kind of flexibility with Nurse is really going to pay off in the playoffs. Um, but, I mean, in terms of the Raptors still do have some weaknesses. I think some of it right now is based on execution. Some of it is, you know, maybe structural. But um, it, it, in terms of just structural weaknesses in the offense or defense, like how if you were an opposing coach looking to scheme against the Raptors, how would you attack them offensively and defensively? Oh, that's awesome. Um, first of all, you do have a very good eye, by the way. Thank you. Give yourself credit for it. But um, what I would do, so I'll start offensively. If I was attacking the Raptors, I would run them off of as many down screens as possible, especially one five down screen. Like they do not, you, we've seen it over and over again this year, how poorly mm-hmm. they cover, they cover down screens. Like they, I think their defensive philosophy is to, to chase every down screen, right? So they'll switch equals, but if, Abaka or Valanciunas' man is setting the screen, they're going to chase every single time. And that chase, like in the NBA, a, a good enough wing player, and like you're talking super elite wing players, are always going to create separation mm-hmm. on their, on like when the screen starts, right? So if you lose that separation and then you're chasing over top every single time, the, like it just puts so much pressure on a defense, you know? And we, like the Raptors just keep getting destroyed by that. I mean, they got destroyed by Golden State. They got destroyed by Detroit. Or, um, uh, the Pelicans. Sorry. The Pelicans. Yeah. yeah. The Pelicans with Etwan Moore and Drew Aldale. Oh, my God. That was yeah. insane. <laughs> but but that's, a, that's a specific area I would go after them. Individually, I think the Raptors' biggest um, issues are, I mean, you put JV on the ball screen as much as possible, mm-hmm. especially dribble handoffs. Um, well, what, dribble handoffs, I say that because the Raptors try to, they try to weak every ball screen, right? So they try to... If it's not on the wings, they mm-hmm. try to force everyone to use their weak hand. If you go dribble handoff, you can often get guys going downhill against JV with their strong hand. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, the the two weak links I think, other than JV and the ball screen, are 
uh, I mean, Lowry, you've got to go at Lowry because he's the engine, yeah. right? He's not yeah. – his lack of size defensively, he's tough and he's a bulldog, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, he, he's what, 6'2"? Yeah, And he doesn't have, doesn't have long arms, right? So he's yeah. going to struggle. Um, him and Van Vliet when they're on the floor, and then I, I don't think Danny Green is a great – a great on-ball defender. I think off the ball, he's very smart, very yep. savvy, has great anticipation. But when, like, I've, there's been too many times on film where it's like, oh, Danny Green, look, mm-hmm. stay in front of the guy a little bit, like, like uh, what's his name, Fournier, yeah, at yeah, the yeah. end of that Orlando game. Like, you know, I, I get it, you don't want to give up a three, but that blow by is pretty insane. Um, yeah, yeah, th- those are the guys, right? I would go after JV every time he's on the floor. I. Uh, Make Lowry and Danny Green cover one on one, and then I would run them off a ton of screens. Stay away from Kawhi, stay away from OG, stay away from Pascal. Um, but again, like if you just think about that, think about how specific you have to get offensively. Oh yeah, to, yeah for sure. To attack their weaknesses, you know. And if you don't have, if you don't have great guys in those spots to attack them, then you know it's pretty tough. Um, the point you made about down screens, I think. There is, uh, if you look around the Eastern Conference, I think the Raptors' ambitions are very clear. They want to make it to the playoffs. They want to make it to the finals. And then we'll see what happens against Golden State. But I think the Raptors, if they made the finals, will consider the season a success. Uh, but, yeah, if you look around the Eastern Conference, there's a couple of teams where, as you mentioned, um, you know, that 1-5 action, uh, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a 1, right? Like, let's say it's like the Sixers are no. playing, right? Like, the Sixers, we're going to put Lowry on Redick. And so then you're going to have Embiid and Redick. And they have probably the most dangerous uh, dribble handoff action in the entire league right now. It's just super annoying watching the Sixers do it over and over again because they'll always get an open look. Those two guys have really good chemistry. But I feel like that's a team in the Sixers where they can really attack the Raptors at one spot in that weakness. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's, it's going to be tough. And that's why I thing I like about the most about this Raptors team is their ability to switch everything mm-hmm. right and, and they're gonna have to get to a point where the only guy who's not switching is Lowry yeah you know? because they're gonna have to like if you if you want to be a great team in today's NBA you got to follow the 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 mold of Golden State like if you Golden State struggled obviously against the Raptors the other day they tried to switch onto Kawhi and then he burned them so many times that they had to yeah. get away from it but I mean, they were you, also playing, like, like, their war centers, you know. Like, eventually, yeah. those guys aren't going to be on the – it'll be Draymond, and all of a sudden it'll be it'll like, be oh, shit, well, we can't do anything now. Exactly, yeah. Because, yeah. see, the Raptors are kind of built like that now because they can switch Pascal onto anybody. Right. They can switch Serge onto anybody not with the same kind of confidence you can Draymond, but he can still, for many centers in the league, he's got to be one of the best on-ball defenders, especially at guards. Mm-hmm. So the Raptors kind of have the ability to do that. Right. They don't want to do it right now, though. And I think that... Yeah. I don't know if that's because it's so early in the year and they don't want to show their hand yet, or it's because they they mm-hmm. want to get better at what they're doing now. I'm not too sure, but you're right. Like You run into teams like Philadelphia, teams like Milwaukee, who are going to just attack the crap out of yeah. Lowry and Van Vliet, like you're going to have to figure out ways to handle them. And the way they're doing it right now, it's tough. It's tough because it puts so much pressure on the paint. It was, yeah, it was, it was a bit interesting in that Warriors game that they didn't really try to do more switching. I thought they really kept their like system like intact. I don't know if that was like them not trying to tip their hand, which, you know, who knows? They do play the Warriors again in two weeks. Maybe they throw a different look and they'll be more successful. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the Raptors do have a lot of capabilities of switching, and they just haven't really – it hasn't really been as prevalent. I almost feel like the Raptors switched last year more than they did this year. Um, 
What about offensively in terms of, you know, the Raptors' offense has been great. I think they're second in offensive rating right now, just behind Milwaukee, and it's pretty close. Um, but I feel like there are times where the Raptors' offense looks a bit stagnant, and I guess my mm-hmm. other concern really is just that, like, it looks like the team is a little bit too dependent on Lowry. Like, Lowry gets everyone going, and when that happens, it's a wrap. The Raptors are going to win. But if you take Lowry out of the game and force him to be a scorer and then really pack the paint and take away that role, it, it looks a lot more disjointed. Right. So th- this is my these are my two things about the Raptor, Raptors Sorry, on offense, is that Lowry's not a great creator, right? Like he's really good with pace. Mm-hmm. Like in transition, he's really good. And like you said, when he's going, the whole team is going. Yeah. But when those playoff games come around and the game slows significantly, mm-hmm. and he can't, you know, get those four or five extra steps in transition, he can't catch guys sleeping off guard. You know, he doesn't have that separation going into the ball screens. Well, then what? Mm-hmm. You know, and we've seen that in the past with him because the game slows down. It gets. It becomes more of a more of like a college type game you know where it becomes very tactical in the half court and your ability to create separation within a box becomes so much more important because you don't have you know you don't have that free-flowing nature of a regular season game so Lowry's improved in that department and it, it will really see it come playoff time how you know how much better he does but the the reason I I'm okay with the stagnant Raptors offense is because when when you play Golden State in the playoffs mm-hmm. and you they start switching everything, you're not going to be able to create off of the ball screen. Right. You're not going to be able to create much off of down screens. You're going to have to have a guy who can go. Like you're going to have to say, all right, we can live with Kawhi versus Draymond, one on one, fifteen times tonight, and we're going to live with, you know, attacking Steph Curry in the ball screen every single time. Mm-hmm. So now the Raptors actually have a guy who we can go to. You yeah. know, like we can we can go to Kawhi Leonard against any player in the world and know that we can create if a team doesn't give us anything else, you know? So when everyone says like, oh, well, the Raptors are so heavily dependent on Kawhi, we're so slow offensively sometimes, they'll move the ball very well. I'm with them. I understand where they're coming from. But at the end of the day, if we're going to win, we're going to need Kawhi mm-hmm. to be that guy, you know? Like we're, if you can't create advantages off of actions and ball screens and, and everyone's going to switch when you need to give someone the ball and they need to make plays for everybody else. So that, that's the way I see it. Um, one thing I, that's, um, that's kind of bothered me about the way they use Kawhi is that like, I feel like at the end of the game, they're a little bit predictable. They always want Lowry to screen and then get that switch. So Kawhi could attack yeah. a small guy, like as if, cause they ran that all the time with the Rosen. Like that was like one of two plays yeah. where Raptors are running the end of games. Um, but I don't feel I don't feel like that's the best way to use Kawhi. I think like end, end of game execution for the Raptors. I mean they've gone to Kawhi and that's a right that's the right idea. But I don't think they've necessarily put him in the best spots to score. Like how would you approach like let's say it's a tie game, ten seconds left, uh, you you call timeout. What are you like drawing up? Who are you, who do you have on the floor and how do you get that ball to Kawhi? Uh, I mean well with the advantage of seeing Kawhi in late game scenarios, I I would go to him still. Of course, mm-hmm. but I would go to oh, him sure. on the wing and, okay. and on the catch, right? Okay. So if he could get like an 18-foot, you know, post up on the wing where he can just jab yeah. and then make his decision off the jab, I think he's so much better because he is a pretty good ball handler. Like he's a very good ball handler, but he's not a great passer off the dribble, mm-hmm. you know? So when he's coming off that ball screen, like there's a lot of times he's, he almost has to predetermine if 
if he reads the defense early enough, he passes it. But it, it gets to a certain point where it's not necessarily fluid. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how when DeLon comes off a ball screen or Lowry comes off a ball screen, they're just the ball's flying all over the place? Yeah. Uh, Leonard's much more sticky, right? Yeah. So that's why I say I say go off the go off the catch, you know, clear isolate the side of the floor, three shooters on the offside, and then you can keep Siakam at like the dunker or Siakam or Surge at the dunker spot, probably Siakam. Sure. And then let Leonard make the decision off his jab because his jab series is really good. Yeah. And he can you can see the floor much more you know much better if he's not dribbling, mm-hmm. and and he's a tough cover. He's a tough cover, especially when he's got when he's jabbing people and he can get you off and create some separation. I think I would use them more that way. Although attacking a guard in a, a switch situation or trying to get them to a guard to shock it or, or hedge it instead of so that they won't switch on a ball screen is not a bad option, you know. Yeah. Like if he makes that pass to surge a little bit earlier or, or doesn't pass at all, mm-hmm. he probably scores on that play, right? Yeah, I think well, it's just a pet peeve. I mean, I, I, that's, I had the same thought. Like, you just really... You know, you clear the floor, you, you give it to Kawhi in the post. I think that's probably the best way yeah. to do it. And also, he's yeah. like, he's very big, he's very strong, and his arms are like impossibly long. So it's not like it's going to be hard to impulse the ball, like to give him the ball in the post. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's he's got to like, be one of the hardest guys to cover in the world. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and it's not like DeRozan, where like he's, DeRozan was like very good at, you know, going downhill, but like he's still a little bit smaller and like it's a little bit easier to swallow up DeRozan. Like, even on a switch, even if you get a big guy against Kawhi, I think Kawhi could still get a shot off, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, I would do the same well, thing. We I, saw down. What's that? Sorry, I was yeah. gonna say we saw down the stretch with like with in, against Golden State, like Durant is long, and yeah. and uh, Kawhi gave Durant problems. Like he created enough yeah. separation to get his shot off consistently. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, going back to the the game pre, uh, breakdowns and stuff. I mean, was there a game this year that was a your favorite and also b maybe the most illustrative in terms of um, you know the, the one game where you took the most out of in terms of where the Raptors um, showed you either weaknesses or strengths that you know you found really informative. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of them. Okay. I mean, a little recency bias is the Memphis game. I love the Memphis game. Yeah. The, the Memphis game was cool because, you know, the the Grizzlies came out and offensively they were like, if you're gonna if you're gonna drop on the ball screen, mm-hmm. we're just gonna mark us all to death. That like we're just gonna destroy you, right? Yeah. And he was just hitting shots on the pop. They were diving the the closest guard, like the guard who would have to help or who could help onto the pop. Mm-hmm. They were diving his man to the basket. Celtics do it all the time, and that was taking the guy away from Gasol or that guy was going and they were getting the back cut. It was really nice to see. Um, and then defensively, they just said, you know, we're not losing to Kawhi. We will yeah. not. We can lose <laughs> to you, but we're not losing to Kawhi. And they just kept throwing so many people at him. And that was fun because, like, it was almost like a college game. Like, it was it was playoff-like, yeah. very technical. Definitely. And then, not to mention, the Raptors had, you know, five-game winning streak, or was it five at that point? I think it was five. Yeah, something like that. And then they had Golden State coming up, so it was a – there was a big potential for a trap game. Memphis was good at home. And then to see the Raptors like go through all those frustrations and to adjust, mm-hmm. for Kawhi to adjust the way he was just reading the offense, yeah. uh, for the Raptors to adjust the way they were playing ball screens, and Van Vliet to just pretty much you know say, like, I'm not losing, and took over the ball screen. Like, he just, he ran, he forced Conley over every single ball screen. Yeah. They didn't have to worry about the drop. They didn't have to switch. Like, mm-hmm. that was awesome. I really liked that because it was like, here's the problem. Here's what Memphis has identified. You're not very good at. What are you going to do about it? Here's some, you know, 
hard times to get through, and then the Raptors answered and they won. And I mean, that was awesome. It's fun when the game is like you can break it down like that, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I thought Serge was great in that fourth quarter too. The way he was able to like extend yeah. his defense and stuff like that. I mean, that's one thing with Serge Absolutely. where it's like really underrated. Um, the fact that he's actually comfortable coming to the perimeter and like his positioning is generally speaking pretty good for those because uh, it's easy for big guys to get out of position and then you know spoil the whole defense like that. Um, one thing I think that's been sort of confusing all Raptors observers this year is like how much the bench has fallen off. Obviously, they've had some yeah. like personnel changes with the bench, and maybe that's just the entire answer right there. They don't have Pascal and Yaka uh, Proto. Yaka was very solid for the Raptors last year. I loved watching him play. Um, but I mean, what are you seeing from the bench? Like, why is the bench struggling to the way it is? Because like when you look at the individual names, the town is still pretty good, such that it should be able to work. It just seems like it doesn't work together. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good question. And I mean that's probably why we're starting to see Lowry and Leonard more with that group. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pascal as well. Pascal as well, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's tough when they don't really have a creator out there. You know, like JV can post up against the right matchup, mm-hmm. so you can put the ball into him. But again, like he's an improved passer, but he he's not necessarily a guy you want to run your offense through consistently, right? Nor can you again if it's not the right matchup. Um, and Vlade is small. It's tough when you're a um, an NBA ball screen guard and you're small because if you get too deep it's really hard to be a good passer yeah. you know like like Lowry Lowry struggles with it sometimes as well when he gets deep against bigger people and mm-hmm. he just can't he can't find the advantages that the defense has given them um, I mean him and DeLon are having some issues like that like he's he's probably a better scorer than DeLon DeLon's mm-hmm. probably a better reader um, but what helps neither of them is the fact that they're the only two creators right like if CJ was playing closer to a JJ Redick type of scorer where it was like you had to chase him all over the place and mm-hmm. what are we going to do? Like you have to, you know, your guys have to be aware that CJ Miles on the floor, like a big time shooter who can draw help if he curls and, right. you know, a real creator from a, a shooting perspective. I mean, that would help a lot, but he just hasn't been that guy, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's tough too. Like you've got two young point guards who, are good they're not incredible neither one of them are insanely you know squirrely or shifty out there where they can just score one-on-one all the time mm-hmm. they need advantage situations and i mean it, it doesn't help when you're not shooting with that like that second group is not shooting at an insane level like cj cj hurts you know yeah it's unfortunate because I, I like him and powell was playing all right too but they need like they need to have a shooter off the bench who's putting pressure on defenses yeah, for sure. I think, honestly, like, even though the bench is talented, like, I just don't really see, uh, unless CJ really rebounds, which I, no one really knows why CJ has fallen off like this. Like, apparently all reports were that he came into camp super in shape, and he looks that way. Uh, it's just It just hasn't it's really worked for him. And he looks so frustrated. Like, when you see him, like, and, like, I think it's, like, mental part uh, for him, too, which is strange for a 15-year vet. I think you would normally expect those guys to sort of just roll with it. But, like, he makes like one or two bad plays also he doesn't he i don't understand for a guy who's played more than a decade in the nba how bad he is at defense like he's just always gambling and out of position it's yeah. it's it's painful to watch um but early, early in the year though didn't you didn't you think he was rebounding super hard yeah like, I, I he, he looked like he was trying to make all sorts of hustle plays like deflections like yeah. going for random dunks and you're like oh wow this is gonna be great for cj 
But he can't shoot. None of it matters if he can't shoot. That's the only thing he does well at the NBA level. And the rest right. of the stuff does not matter unless he shoots. Which is why I think, you know, maybe the Raptors got to look into making some personnel changes. Whether that's, you know, cr- finding another creator off the bench. I don't think they really need, like, a Lou Williams type of guy. Because um, I just generally don't think that that's super effective, yeah. especially in the playoffs. But, um yeah, I mean, they need they need some shooting. And quite honestly, like, we talked about JB earlier, but, like, his defensive issues are such that um, you can't play Serge 48 minutes at center, right? So you need no. some backup center to come in and maintain your system. And, um, you know, obviously backup centers are not perfect. But if you're going to go to the finals, you need 48 minutes of solid defense at center. And I feel like, yeah, yeah that's that's also one area they can address. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. Uh, I'm with you on that. Like, he's... Like Valanciunas has, uh, he has value in the NBA Definitely. in the right matchup. Yeah, in, in the right matchups, right? Like you, mm-hmm. Nurse does a good job most of the time making sure he's out there only in situations that work for him. You know, not against uh, athletic bigs or yeah. bigs who have to pull him out. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I I was hoping that Corver would have. Uh, yeah. somehow they would have swung a deal to get him because, I mean, he's an upgrade for CJ, right? Yeah, you don't have sure. to play in big minutes, and you know when he comes in, he's gunning. Yeah, for I sure. I don't know if they'll get rid of JV, though. It's tough. You it, the, think the market, would? The market is... Um, I, I think if they get rid of JV, they got to bring on another big guy back in return. And I think yeah. in that regard, like, obviously big men, like, the value of big men has just dropped off a cliff in the last, like, five years. Um, but, you know, that could work for the Raptors' advantage, right? Like, maybe some team looks at JV and says, we need a boost in scoring, and, you exactly. know, the Raptors see, hey, we need a boost in defense, and maybe that works, but, you know, it's hard to find a guy like that out there. I, I throw out, I, I've been throwing out Tristan Thompson as a name, only as, like, a prototype, but, like, you know, like, even Tristan Thompson specifically, like, wouldn't be bad. I mean, he has a history of success against Boston, like, him versus Al Horford. Al Horford can't match his physicality on the boards and so it's always an issue for Horford uh, and then you know Tristan's one of the best switch guys in the league in terms of big men and we saw that against the Warriors so like if, you're, if your exactly. ambitions are to go that far in the playoffs then Tristan somehow makes sense I just don't think offensively it's going to help the Raptors whatsoever because he's definitely worse than JV offensively outside of offensive rebounds yeah but yeah. offensive rebounds could be his, his form of creating offense right that's true uh, I'm, I'm with you Tristan Thompson is exactly the type of defender that you need to win a championship in today's modern basketball, right? You need a guy like Pascal is the perfect four right now. Mm -hmm. Tristan, Like Pascal can't play five, right? I think he can. I mean, it depends. You you saw who, oh shoot, who was the game? It was the Memphis game when he had to cover uh, Jermichael Green. Yeah. Is that the right name? Jermichael Green? Yeah, I think think so. so. And he had, he posted up, uh, Siakam a couple times mm-hmm. and that's when you really start to realize like his lack of girth right he's, yeah. he's pretty skinny yeah. um, I mean but he can if Draymond is a 5 yeah. Pascal can cover the 5 it's just a matter of can you cover big 5s you know so yeah. but Tristan Thompson and Serge Ibaka Pascal they can all switch out to one <laughs> that'd be one team. hell of a defensive lineup at, at center oh, crap. Yeah. Um, I would but... love to see that Serge at the 5 Pascal at the four, yeah. OG Kawhi, and I mean uh, Fred VanVleet. Like that would be a really good defensive lineup. Yeah, for sure. For really sure. good. Yeah, and look, I, I I mean, just for listeners to the podcast, like I I know I keep bringing up Tristan. It's not like I'm like I I want Tristan this badly. I just think like a guy with Tristan's skill set would fit really nicely. You know, if it wasn't yeah, Tristan, another guy, Tristan. I would love it. 
But I mean, like, how many Tristans are there in the league, right? And like the thing yeah, with Tristan is like his many. exactly, and his he's very gettable because his contract is, is like he? it's worth yeah. It's, he's got like nineteen million on his contract next year, which like no one would really want to pay that. Um, or I think it's nineteen or eighteen. But the thing is, the Raptors Can have afford that? JV has the same contract as him. So if you oh, swap okay. the two of them, it doesn't actually hurt your books. It just doesn't improve your books. So right, yeah. I mean, and JV might actually make Cleveland give them a chance of winning a few more games if they're interested in winning yeah. a few more games because he can score way better. They need scoring they so badly. Them. Like watching that game, yeah. it was pathetic. Like the Rodney Hood, like oh my god, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cleveland is just uh, Jordan Clarkson is one of the least. Um, sensible players in the league right now. <laughs> he just shoots the ball every single time yeah. he touches it. Um, uh, he's so funny to watch. Yeah, he. he uh, it's it's funny because I think he just he knows he doesn't really care. Like, it's Cleveland's not going to be a team that signs him or whatever. And you know his best bet is basically to develop as an offensive player and then eventually come off the bench as a six man. But yeah. How many points would Jordan Clarkson average if he played in the Chinese Basketball Association? Honestly, like I feel like he'd be like an eighty-five a game guy. It would be up there. It would be up. There. That might be his destiny. Then he's got to really play up his <laughs> Filipino heritage. Um, <laughs> he might be the best like Chinese league player ever. Honestly, he might be because there are some players that go over like Jimmer Fredette. Just, yeah, just go and get buckets and don't worry about anything else. Yeah. Also, it's not that bad of a career. All right, like if you're Jimmer Fredette, you couldn't cut so in the NBA. Make money. You're going to make money, and, like, if you land up in one of the big cities, like, if you're playing in, like, Shanghai or Beijing or, you know, even, like, I don't know if Chengdu has a team, but it's a great city as well. But, like, yeah, it's it's, it's a great career. I don't know why uh, people don't look at it more often. But, um, all right, Victor, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Let's uh, Can we do, like, five minutes to just look ahead for the week and sort of make some predictions? Sure. Sounds all right. good. All right, so Monday, today, the Raptors uh, take on the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets uh, are, you know, surprisingly stingy on defense, um, and they've been quite successful this year. They're fifteen and seven. They're first in the West. It always feels like the Raptors are playing first in the West because the West is so jumbled. There's a new first in the West every time the Raptors beat them. Um, but uh, yeah, the Nuggets have given the Raptors trouble in the past, and I think uh, Jokic has sort of been central to that. But uh, I don't know. I, I see this as a win. I think the Raptors match up pretty well with uh, with with Denver. Yeah, I do too. Denver is one of the best teams in the league at running the, the dribble handoff, right? Jokic yeah. is an awesome passer. Yeah. And they score really well. Uh, I think the Raptors will be all right tonight. Yeah. I mean, unless Jamal Murray gets all, you know, nostalgic about coming home and goes off for 60, but yeah. I think they'll be okay. Yeah. I, I, I think, think they so win too. tonight. Yeah, and Jamal and Gary Harris, like, they're really solid players. They just haven't shot the ball well this year, which is just strange, but uh, I don't know. I see it as a win. Also, I don't see them having anybody to guard Kawhi, like, at all. <laughs> I'm looking at the no, roster. No, like they really struggle there. They can't match up, so, you know, no. that, that's a loss. Uh, okay, then the, on Wednesday, the, the Raptors play host to the 76ers. That one's going to be very interesting because the Sixers are um, obviously a revamped team with Jimmy Butler in the mix now. Um, you know, the Raptors, I think they dominated the first meeting, but uh, that was yeah. also because Ben Simmons had 11 turnovers. And I just think with the Sixers, if they don't turn the ball over, they're a really good team because they're offensively, they're solid. They have enough talent to, like, score. And their system is pretty good at getting open shots. And that defensively, they're just terrifying. Like, you look at that roster. They have a couple weak spots, but at the key areas where, like, you got Ben Simmons, you got Jimmy Butler, and then you got Joel Embiid, who's probably the best, like, rim protector in the league. Like, Sixers are scary. Sixers are scary, although I'm not that concerned with – like if Ben Simmons is the guy who's going to be covering 
Kawhi, mm-hmm. sign me up. You know, I'm all, I'm all about that. Okay. Jimmy Butler's a little bit smaller. Yeah. You know, the, the guys who concern me with Kawhi are like the Durants of the world, the Giannis's of the world, right? Who yeah. struggle to, you know, shoot above. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more concerned that game about Embiid because, I mean, Serge is, is a good defender at the five spot, but again, he's not very bulky, you know? Yeah. And like, Embiid just bodies the crap out of people, so. Yeah, Serge uh, is a bit think, weak in the legs. I think they're not deep enough. Yeah, yeah, the Sixers. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Sixers are definitely like a work in progress right now. Like, they're starting Mike Muscala. Yeah. Like that. That shouldn't happen. <laughs> You're not winning championships <laughs> with Mike Muscala starting. No offense to Mike Muscala. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and and yeah, I think it's a good point about them not really having got to guard Kawhi because Kawhi's two of his best games against the season, uh, Minnesota when Jimmy Butler was there and was playing that game, he had 35 yeah. on 23 shots, and then against Philadelphia, he had 31 on 19 shots, and also you know. Got Ben Simmons to turn the ball over eleven times, so I think it's gonna be interesting. Yeah. I'm gonna. It's a bit of a toss up for me, to be honest, because the Sixers are so unpredictable right now. But that should be a win. Um, Brooklyn Nets on Friday. That should definitely be a win. I mean, they just don't have enough talent. Yeah. Uh, nothing else to say. Yeah, there. That's kind of like the Cavs situation too, right? Yeah. It's unfortunate what happened to Karis LeVert, but uh, the team yes, wasn't even that talented very... with him. Uh, and then last one, yeah. Milwaukee Bucks on Sunday. That one's gonna be very interesting because uh, the Bucks look on paper like they're falling back to earth a little bit. Because I think they're they started out seven and zero, and I think they're eight and seven since, and they look, just lost to the Knicks. But um, this is still a very formidable team. I just think they've had like some very unfortunate losses along the way, and they have a lot of very impressive wins. And um, yeah. you know they're gonna be good, right? Like. Oh yeah, that's that's a good basketball team, and we didn't have we didn't play Giannis last time. Obviously, no KD, but yeah. or no Kawhi. Uh, that's gonna be fun. I, my big thing for that game is going to be you just watch how Lowry and Van Vliet respond to um, what Bledsoe and, yeah. and Brogdon did to them last time because they yeah. absolutely destroyed them. You know, so I, I want to see how those two respond, especially especially defensively. Yeah, Bledsoe has really turned around this year. Like he's really like made good on his potential as like such an athletic, such a aggressive like ball hand. Like just he just hounds you on the ball all the time. You can't you can't you come around the yeah. screen. He's right there. His his arms are crazy long and he's super strong and he's obviously very athletic. I mean, those are generally yeah, speaking the guys that Kyle. Time. Yeah, exactly. Kyle Kyle's gonna struggle. I mean, he struggled in that first in that first game. I think Kyle had 15 assists, but he couldn't score like whatsoever. And uh, he could not score. No. Yeah. And 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 Bledsoe just kept creating, and Brogdon just kind of, you know, just he he made Lowry look like a brutal defender on a bunch of occasions. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And then obviously Giannis, like how the Giannis Kawhi matchup goes, I have no idea. <laughs> That's just they're so like unique and weird in their own ways and good. Yeah. That's just I can't predict that. It's it's like it's like watching like superheroes fight each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like no yeah, one else like, could do anything. Against these guys, I know, I know. Interesting to see what they do against each other. Yeah, exactly. All right, Victor, this was fun. Um, you know, uh, in addition to reading all of your breakdowns to Raptors Public, uh, is there anything else you want to to plug for the listeners out there? Uh, no, I'm no, not, I'm not big on the whole wow. promotion. <laughs> all right, well, I'll pl- I'll plug Victor, uh, you know, on, on your behalf. Then uh, follow you on Twitter at least. We could do that, right? Yeah, we can do yeah. that. I'm victorious underscore thirty one. Yeah. What, what is is thirty one the number you wore? Thirty one is uh, the number I was wearing at Mac. I wore fifteen at Carlton, but thirty one is my favorite number. What's the what's the story with thirty one? 
31 is um, so when I was growing up, my fa- first ever favorite player to play at Mac wore 31, and then uh, oh, okay. the next guy to wear 31 is named Ben Cates from Toronto. Okay. He was awesome. Okay. I like he's very similar to me, so okay. I was like, you know what, I want to I want to be like Ben. So I wear 31. There you go. There you go. Uh, also, a plug, a plug for Ben. Yeah, there you go. Um, also, for listeners out there, Hamilton's not that bad, okay? Like, the perception of Hamilton at this point is out of control. Hamilton's really on the come up. All right, I haven't gone to school there, like, yeah. as recently as 2015. Like, it's pretty good. I didn't mind living in Hamilton. Listen, Hamilton's awesome. Yeah. I, I don't care what anybody says. They say, oh, it smells bad. You know, it's, there's all the steel industries, whatever. Yeah, if you go down to that area of Hamilton, it smells bad. But the rest of it is really nice. Yeah. And the food scene is just taking off. Yeah, it really has. The food has. scene is really good, man. It really has. It's beautiful. Yeah. Remember most waterfalls, I yep. think, uh, in the world? In Hamilton. <laughs> yep. Yeah, people yep. don't know that More about waterfalls. Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We lead the world in waterfalls. There you go. There you go. All right, Victor, thank you. All right. Well, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you.